You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Thank you for joining us on Community Focus, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. We spoke last month with Heather Geronimus, who is the founder of the Walk Like Mad and Mad Dash 5K Fort Lauderdale to benefit Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And now we're just two weeks away from the event, and we want to talk to the chairperson of this year's walk under Sheriff Nicole Anderson. Colonel Nicole Anderson, it is so great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. You know, you're with BSO. You are the undersheriff at Broward Sheriff's Office. And I know BSO works with MAD and has been working with Mothers Against Drunk Driving for years. In what ways do you work together to help reduce drunk driving incidents on the road? The Broward Sheriff's Office partners with MAD to raise awareness through PSAs and community events that bring awareness to it. And our PSAs are usually done various messaging platforms, ad campaigns, social media, TV, radio, etc. And community events such as the Walk Like Mad, which brings the community out. And it's a fun time had by all, but it's a serious matter that we're addressing. And we just want people to know. And it also helps raise funds for the work that MAD does. What are some of the top excuses that you hear from drivers when they have been caught driving with a blood alcohol level over the limit? Most impaired drivers claim that they didn't realize their alcohol level was above the legal limit. And that's one of the most egregious factors of using alcohol as well as drugs. It impairs your judgment. So you're not thinking rationally when you make that decision to get behind the wheel of a motor vehicle. What is the actual legal blood alcohol level for a driver now? Because it's changed over the years. The illegal limit is 0.08 or above. And for anyone under 21 and for commercial motor vehicle drivers, it is 0.02 or above. That's a huge difference. And then you have to factor in people of different sizes. You know, you can have a big hefty guy who wrestles and works out and has two or three drinks. And then you take a woman who is 100 pounds and she has three drinks and the two don't equate in terms of blood alcohol level. So is there any kind of estimate that you can give people in terms of number of drinks and over what amount of time they can tolerate? without going over that limit. And I want to be clear, I'm not suggesting that you do drive even if you're under the limit, but obviously from legal terms, you do not want to be driving over the limit. Actually, there's really no number of drinks that you can say that a person can have because alcohol absorption into the blood is affected by many factors, which include the weight, gender, metabolism, and other things attributed to a person's uh, body makeup. So in terms of size, the smaller a person is, the faster their blood alcohol content level will rise and begin to uh, affect their judgment. 
And I'm sure you must run into people who are impaired even at a much lower blood alcohol level. Sure. Like I said, there's many factors in how a person reacts to it. So I would tell people to drink responsibly. And, you know, we were saying people think they're fine to drive. It impairs their judgment, no matter how much alcohol they've had, or in the case of drugs, even prescription drugs. How can, if they can't recognize that they're impaired, what can other people look for? And how can they take action to keep someone they know from getting behind the wheel when they're impaired? Well, if you've been around someone for some time, you generally know their mannerisms, their behavior. And clue number one is going to be slurred speech or glassy eyes and just the demeanor of the person. You know, if you're going to say that you're someone's friend, be a true friend, take the keys. They might be upset with you at that time, but you're potentially saving their lives and the lives of someone else. And also, we have ride sharing. It's so easy, the various ride sharing apps. So there is really no excuse to get behind the wheel of a motor vehicle. Right, Mm -hmm. right. It's much easier now than it used to be. Because people, you know, they're independent. They think, no, 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 I have a meeting that I have to get to tomorrow. I need to be home. And really, like you say, that excuse is no longer valid. You know, alcohol is so much a part of our culture, particularly at celebrations. Is there a way that we can change the way people think about it and look at a celebration as something that doesn't require alcohol to enjoy yourself? Absolutely. You can do the drinks without the alcohol, you know, make it a, um, a gathering where you want to promote the safety but have an enjoyable time. You know, alcohol is legal, but drinking and driving is not legal. And I think that prior to going to a gathering, even per se they're going to have alcohol, you should have a game plan. You should have a designated driver or you may want to just Uber there to begin with. So there isn't an opportunity for you to say, get behind the wheel of your vehicle. So it's making those conscious efforts and being mature about decisions that you make because it is a 100% preventable crime. Yeah, I do know more and more people who are using the ride sharing, particularly you know, when it comes to the big festivals like St. Patty's Day, big street festivals where drinking is involved. I know more and more people are using ride sharing. For those who are not, let's put a little fear into them. What are the actual laws related to DUI and the consequences for a first offense, a second, or a three strikes? Well, the first and the second DUI offense are both misdemeanor crimes punishable by up to one year in jail, loss of driving privileges, and fines. If property damage or injuries are caused as a result of a impaired driver, the penalties increase. Your social life is affected. Your professional life could be affected. And you most certainly are guaranteed to either be paying higher insurance premiums or be dropped altogether by your insurance company. A third and subsequent DUI offense is a felony that can result in state prison sentence. And the fines are increased, thereby, again, loss of driving privileges. And should you unfortunately take a life in the commission of this crime or injure someone, then the penalties are magnified as far as prison sentence and fines and loss of driving privileges. You could ultimately have your driving privileges be revoked for life if you're a repeat offender. You know, we think so much about the victim 
and how the victim's family is impacted. But as you just said, the impact on a driver who is caught driving under the influence, whether it's a first, second, or worst case of all, a third time, their life can be upended completely. And that's really important, I think, for people to understand that you don't just walk away from this and go, oh, well, I got a ticket. This is a much greater influence on the remainder of your life. Now, you mentioned if someone, if they strike someone, what about if it causes a death? What kind of reactions do you see in people? For the most part, when a person sober up, it hits them like a ton of bricks. Some people can't overcome the guilt that they cause the death of another person by irresponsible act. And sometimes it results in those individuals taking their own lives. Their families are affected by it because not only do they have to live with the um, guilt, but should you try to harm yourself because the guilt is too much, then they have to live with that as well. So there are so many people affected by this 100% preventable crime. It just makes no sense for people to not be responsible and do the right thing and not drink and drive. Oh, what made you decide to step up and be chairperson this year of the Walk Like Mad and Mad Dash 5K Fort Lauderdale? Um, in my 27 plus year career in law enforcement, this has been a passion of mine. I started off as a uh, Florida Highway Patrol state trooper, and that was a large part of my uh, work patrolling the highways. And people don't understand the impact that this has, not only for the victim, the impaired driver, but the community as a whole. So when I was asked about being the chair for the Walk Like Mad this year, without hesitation, I accept it. It's something that you have to be passionate about if you're passionate about people. Now, you obviously were already familiar with working with people who were either victims of drunk drivers or had been caught driving drunk because of your work as a state trooper and with Broward Sheriff's Office. Has working from within the organization, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, had any more of an impact on how you view drunk driving? Yes. You see victims at the time that you're actually working these crashes. But if you ever get a chance to attend a candlelight vigil or just speak with some of the uh, victims or their surviving family members, if that doesn't tug at your heartstrings, I, I don't know what will. And it just, they're so passionate about the people that they're out there on behalf of that it's one of those things where it's a, a good feeling to know that you're helping people. Yeah. So here we are two weeks away from the Walk Like Mad and Mad Dash 5K at Hyzanga Plaza. What would you like to say to people to encourage them to come out and have a great time alcohol free? I would say come out even if you can't participate in the walk. It is an awesome time to just fellowship with the community and knowing that you're doing something positive and impactful that could possibly save lives and just committed to there being no more DUI crime victims. And that's the gist of it. Um, just doing what's right and having a good time. Okay. And I want to extend an invitation to college students in particular, because I remember college and it was all about let's party and have fun. And I think at that age, we don't 
realize the harm that we can do to others and to ourselves. And it kind of starts there and then carries on throughout someone's life. So yeah, let's get everyone from UM and Barry University and Nova Southeastern and Broward College and you know all of our local colleges come out and join in. It really is a super fun day. The, the Mad Dash for kids is adorable. And you know there are a ton of vendors and food and medals for whoever places first, second, and third in their category. It's a chip time 5K. And you know after last year, with things being virtually done because of COVID, we are now able to do things in a COVID safe manner. The place is large enough, Hyzanga Plaza. And I understand that if people want to wear masks, they can, but there are no requirements. We leave that up to each individual. And there is also still a virtual component. Is that correct? Yes. Where would someone go to sign up and get all the information and become part of this very important and powerful event? You can go to the MAD website and there's links where you can register to participate or just donate if you're unable to participate. But I would say if you get the opportunity to come out, alcohol-free party with a purpose. Absolutely. I'm in. We do also have the information on our website, so you can always go there to our events listing and find all the links. So looking forward to seeing you again. We've run into each other a couple of times where you've been honored over the years, and it's been such a thrill to watch you as you just keep expanding your impact on our community. And I thank you for all that you do. Everyone will love meeting you. I really appreciate that. And I look forward to meeting everyone that comes out. And like I said, come out and enjoy this alcohol-free party with a purpose. Awesome. Colonel Nicole Anderson, really the undersheriff at Broward Sheriff's Office and chairperson of the Walk Like Mad and Mad Dash 5K Fort Lauderdale, just two weeks away at Hyzanga Plaza. Please come join us. Joining us now on Community Focus, the man who almost single-handedly changed the way we view zoos and how animals in zoos should be cared for. It is always a pleasure to speak with Zoo Miami's communications director and zoo ambassador, Ron McGill. Hello. Thank you for being with us today. Oh, Ellen, thank you for the invitation. Many, many years we go back, and it's always great speaking with you. We're not going to say just, well, actually, I'm about to say how many, because I remember going to Crandon Park Zoo as a kid. I'm guessing you do, too, having grown up in Miami. And when Zoo Miami opened with cageless areas where the animals could roam free in their, like, natural habitats, this was such a novelty. And now... 40 years later, I have to tell you, I assumed that all zoos were like Zoo Miami until I traveled a little bit and went to some zoos in other places I don't want to name. And the animals were still in these tiny little cages. And it was just, you know, some of them were underfed. It was horrifying. So what was... Yeah, you know, I'll I'll tell you, Ellen, what what happens is there's a big difference between accredited zoos and what I like to call roadside attractions. And we need to be able to distinguish the difference. I will say that good zoos, though all of them have not been able to obtain this cageless sort of environment, they're all striving to get there. The whole culture of what a good zoo is has changed. Now, my first job was working at the Cranon Park Zoo because I started working there before this zoo was even built. Right. So I remember those cages, the horrible concrete floors, the metal bars, nothing but a tire hanging on a rope. It was offensive. It was really, as I look back, it was sickening. I I get physically ill looking back at the way animals were kept, you know, 40, 50 years ago. But fortunately, we've evolved from that. We've learned, we've come to understand that animals have 
They have needs, they have requirements. They're not objects to be exhibited. And zoos have gone a long way towards making that a better world for them and understanding that we have to not just exhibit the animal, we've got to exhibit the environment. Because if we don't save the environment, saving the animals is a moot point. And that's, that's the thing. Zoos are much more conservation-minded now as opposed to simply being an attraction. And I'm proud to have been part of that evolution. Yeah. So in what way is Zoo Miami, I mean, we know, of course, about the open natural habitats and also that animals are sentient beings. They have their own intelligence. Absolutely. It may not be the same Absolutely. as ours, but certainly they have intelligence. So adding in the whole concept of the conservation and being conscious of the earth and the environment, where did that come into play as you were developing all the programs for the zoo? Well, I've got to tell you, you know, I started working here 42 years ago. And when I came to work here, I didn't come to work for an attraction. My goal was always to work for an organization that was going to protect animals in the wild. Because, listen, Ellen, if the zoo is the last place where anyone can see these animals, then zoos as institutions have failed. Our number one priority has to be to help ensure that animals can always live in the wild where they belong. This is going to sound strange to some people who know me and listen to me over the years, but the bottom line is this. In a perfect world, we wouldn't need any zoos. In a perfect world, everyone would be able to go to Africa, see an elephant, go across the Serengeti, go to the Arctic, see a polar bear on the ice, go to the Amazon, see a jaguar in the forest. We don't live in a perfect world, and unfortunately, sometimes the only contact with a live animal that somebody's going to have is going to a zoo. That's what happened to me. I grew up in a small apartment in New York City, and when I went to the Bronx Zoo, there was a connection there. When I looked at an animal eye to eye, something happened that didn't happen when I saw a photograph of it or saw it on television. It's something that planted a seed in me that has grown into this tree of passion where I am now committed to protecting these animals in the wild, providing support and funding to protect them in the wild where they belong. And that's where zoos are going because they understand. And I'll tell you what, it's being driven a great deal by the young generation. These young kids are not going to tolerate putting animals in cages. They're going to only accept putting an animal under human care if they can see a direct benefit to those animals in the wild. And zoos have come to understand that. They need to work towards that goal. And that's what we're doing. I mean, we understand, you know, I know without protecting the animals in the wild, any work I do here is, is worthless. Is there anything we can do to stop these places in Africa, say, where people pay ten, fifteen, thirty, forty thousand dollars to go and hunt a wild animal in an area that's fenced in. It's not like they're hunting in the wild and they're hunting strictly for the kill. And it is yeah, appalling. Yeah. You know, these are called canned hunts, basically, where you basically, you know, putting an animal in a fishbowl and just shooting it. And that's a horrific situation. I, I wanna make something clear and this is gonna, you know, probably make some people uncomfortable, but I wanna be honest. I want to say that the true hunter is not a bad person, a person who hunts for substance. You know, here in the United States, we have the deer hunters. We have deer hunting season. I don't have an issue with someone who's going out hunting a deer, using that deer, putting it in the freezer, and feeding off the venison of that deer throughout the year because that is basically a useful sustenance of the animal. I don't hunt myself, but I understand that. And we need to understand that those hunters, through their hunting licenses and through their conservation efforts, are actually ensuring that those areas occur where these animals can exist. Now, having said that, we do that because we've ruined the natural cycle. We don't have mountain lions. We don't have wolves. We've wiped them off these natural areas where they existed before, and they can control the populations. Where you had a natural balance, because we've affected that, we have, have in turn had to create these hunting seasons to keep that balance. And I know that makes people uncomfortable. Again, I can't go out and do it myself, but I understand the reasoning for it. Having said that, 
these people who ought to shoot an animal just to put their head up on a wall, I cannot stomach. That is something that to me makes absolutely no sense. This quote unquote trophy hunting to satisfy somebody's ego because they want to go out there and say, I shot this. Wow. I I don't know how people can do that. I just, I don't understand it. And they try to justify it by saying, oh, the money we're spending to do that is being used to help conserve the area. You know what? Oh my God. I'm sorry. How about my moral spending... principle doesn't allow me to do that. This is this is you trying to satisfy your ego because you went out there and killed this animal for no other reason than to say you did so and hang its head on a wall as a trophy or lay its skin on the floor as a rug. That to me is repulsive. Agreed. I cannot stomach that. No. You know, so we need to make sure that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. You know, we have the people who are duck hunters. We have the people who are deer hunters. They shoot. They eat what they shoot. They're using the animal they shoot. It, you know, it's not a whole lot different, Ellen, than people who go and, you know, buy a prime rib at the Publix because you're still eating an animal. Right. And I understand they're, they're vegetarians and vegans. They say, well, that's why I don't do that. And I, I respect that. I have ultimate respect for that. But there are people who, you know, will come and say, you can't be shooting these deer. How can you shoot a deer? wait a minute, do you go and have a steak at your Publix? So I know this is sounding strange coming from me. People expect me to say it a totally different thing, but I want to be a realist and understand that the true hunter, the true conservation hunter really is doing a benefit in helping keep populations healthy. Um, again, I can never, ever endorse this trophy hunting. It's yeah. terrific. No, it really, it goes back to caveman days that we hunted when we were cave people because that was how we ate. It's called the circle exactly. of life for a reason. And just like animals eat other animals, there are predators and there are prey. That's a natural thing. But like you say, hunting for Uh, glory, if you think spending $50,000 is helping conserve, well, put the $50,000 into actually conserving rather than killing. Wholeheartedly agree. Wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. You know, so it's just it's just the devil's in the details there. These these are folks that generally speaking, you know, when I look at a photograph on the line of some woman who shot a giraffe and is laying down next to the neck of a dead giraffe like a trophy, it is sickening to me. It is just a horrible reflection of human nature that is really ugly. Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, But back to beautiful things like Zoo Miami. (laughs) I'm like, my heart is just beating. So I I just those pictures just repulse me. Um, Yeah, they repulse me also. But, you know, and talking about photography, your pictures. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, I'll tell you what, Ellen, photography for me has been the greatest single tool I have in trying to engage people in the conservation to get them to care. You know, there's an old old saying that says, in the end, you protect what you love, you love what you understand, and you understand what you're taught. Well, with photographs, you can really teach people to understand and love animals. And for me, photography is very analogous to hunting, okay? Mm-hmm. The only difference is I'm going out there, I'll be, I'll be stalking, I'm trying to find an animal, trying to find, I find the animal, I shoot. But I get a picture that I hang on the wall, the animal right. walks away, and everybody's happy. But I understand the thrill of the hunt that way, and I wish I could encourage more of those trophy hunters to understand that their trophy should be the photograph and not the head of the animal. Well, that's a great campaign to actually work on and something to look at for the future. For now, we know that you have all of these educational programs and initiatives for the public so that we can come in and engage with the animals in a way that we can't because we don't go into the wild. And you give them presents on certain holidays and we get to watch them open their gifts. So, of course, this being Earth Month, you've got your big party for the planet. What's going to happen? What can we expect? Well, Party for the Planet is a wonderful kind of celebration of the Earth, basically. It revolves around Earth Day. 
And what we did with Party with the Planet was we have events where you can come in and we have certain um, enrichment events. We call them enrichment events where we provide animals with certain things that you can enjoy them watching, opening certain, you know, things that are made in what we have our enrichment center because animal welfare is very important. And part of animal welfare is keeping them mentally stimulated, not just with food, but with, you know, things that they got to open, things that they got to do, searching for food, things like that. These are the types of things that for me are just a wonderful way to interact with animals and to show animals interacting. So when you come here and you come for Party of the Planet, you'll see those types of events. We've got uh, uh, enrichment schedule with the otters, with the meerkats, with the tree kangaroo, with the pygmy hippos, you know, the bats, African elephants. You'll see them all getting special things made by our animal science staff and sometimes by volunteers that the animals get to open. They get to search for favorite treats. They'll make like a big paper mache earth planet that inside has a bunch of bugs or something that the animals can open up and look for the bugs. No, I'm serious. We'll, we'll, make, we'll make these... Well, no, we'll make these big uh, ice blocks, okay, that we have pieces of fruit inside frozen in the ice blocks. So the animals have to, you know, scratch through the ice so they're cooling off in one way and they're getting through the ice until they get to the treat, an apple in the center of the ice. You know, there's all kinds of enrichment that they do for the party of the planet. We're also going to have several vendors out here, people from the rescue and rehabilitation organizations like Pelican Seabird Station, uh, Wildlife Rescue of Dade County. They'll have tables out here. I actually think they're actually going to be doing maybe a release or two of animals that have been rescued and rehabilitated and are now be able to be released oh, into wow. the wild. That's yeah, wonderful. yeah, you can come out, you can use your cell phone and get in for free. If you donate an old cell phone that's no longer any good, you can get in for free because we've got this campaign called EcoCell Campaign where they're taking the coltan. It's a mineral in cell phones that is responsible for the deforestation of tons of area in the Congo for this mineral. And by turning a cell phone, they can recycle that coltan. So we'll give you free admission to the park if you have an old cell phone during that weekend and come in that way. You know, there's a scavenger hunt that you can do on your phone that you're looking for things and then you can redeem your uh, special prize at the end of the day by going through the scavenger hunt, all kind of earth-related, you know, just trying to teach you lessons about what you can do to make the earth a better place for all of us. Awesome. And all of that information is on your website at zoomiami.org. But something else that you have very graciously made time for on the same weekend is Baynanza. It's the 40th annual Biscayne Bay Shoreline Cleanup, and you are going to be the ambassador for that. So they have 27 locations. You're going to be with us at Morningside Park, and this is on the 23rd. And our Party for the Planet is the 23rd and 24th. So people can do both. What's your take? Look, Helen, Baynanza is one of the greatest events ever developed here in Miami-Dade County. I I am so proud to be a part of it this year because it is everything that's right about what we can do and the difference that we can make and getting people of all ages involved. Biscayne Bay is kind of like the heart, the heart and soul of the quality of life for us here in South Florida. People don't realize it, whether it's the quality of the water, whether it's the tourism that comes out to, to enjoy that beautiful bay or to go out fishing at the beautiful bay because, you know, to keep it healthy, to keep the fish stocks up. So much of our quality of life revolves around that bay. And we have been not the best stewards, mm. uh, you know, in years past. And the amount of pollution, whether it be, you know, pesticides, whether it be just trash and plastics, what we do to hurt that bay over the past several decades is really horrific. But I'm so happy to see the Bananzas come around 40 years now, and every year it gets better. Why? Because more and more people are understanding how important this bay is to our... Listen, even if you don't like animals, if you don't like going to the beach, if you don't like swimming in the ocean, 
if you like your quality of life, just yes. the health of having healthy water, healthy air, this is all connected. I'm trying to make people understand that, listen, by protecting the bay, we're protecting ourselves. Yes. It is our quality of life, yes. you know, and to see these volunteers and, you know, the majority of them are young people. And it's so inspiring to me, Ellen, to look at our youth that, you know, when I was a kid, I wouldn't think about going. I wasn't even aware of what was happening there. No, I think it was go out and no, party. No you know, you party on a weekend. Right. To see these young kids now taking their days off on a weekend and going out there and working to pick up this trash in so many different locations. I mean, we're talking about thousands and thousands of pounds of trash that these folks are picking up and cleaning away from the bay to make that bay as healthy as it can possibly be. It's a wonderful message. It's a wonderful educational experience for everybody. You learn so much about the bay and, and how important it is to us. And you also get to meet some great people. You get to socialize and, and make some great friends that you never know could be friends for life because yeah. you're all like-minded people. Thank it's a you. <laughs> you took the words right <laughs> out of my mouth. It's people who get it, they care, and for those who leave their trash behind... I would like to remind you that there is not a cleaning service that goes out and picks up after you. It's not like there's a maid for Biscayne Bay. It's your neighbors who are doing the work. And so we have to thank the several thousand people who do come out both on the Day of Bonanza, but also the ones who do it all year round. You know, the Girl Scouts have these initiatives. Right. So there are all these youth groups that do that. They can get service hours. And we're just thrilled that you're going to be part of it. Cox Media Group is sponsoring. Bonanza this year. And I mean, we've been part of it every year, but to really be the media sponsor and to have Ron McGill from Zoo Miami there, it's going to be amazing. So it's my privilege. It's my privilege. It really is. I listen, the fact that you still think it's a privilege after all this time. And, you know, listen, you're renowned. You are known nationwide. There's no question. You're probably known internationally. You're very, you're very kind, but you know, Ellen, at heart, I'm just a zookeeper. I'm a, I'm a kid who loved animals. I've been surrounded by great people all of my life. I, I carry a little chip. I know I carry a big chip on my shoulder because people, uh, you know, they'll come up and, oh my God, you do such great work. And you know, I really don't work hard at all anymore, Ellen. I, I'm basically a storyteller. It's the people you don't see that are the story. Okay. The people that work so hard, you don't see their faces, you don't hear their names, but they're the ones that deserve all the credit. All these people you're going to see cleaning the beaches on Saturday at Bainanza, those are the heroes. You know, don't equate by looking at somebody that you see on television as someone being important. Trust me, it has nothing to do with being important. The important people are the ones you don't see that are out there killing themselves, trying to clean up and trying to make this place a better place for all of us without wanting anything in return other than knowing they're doing the right thing. Those are the heroes of our environment. That's exactly what makes you so special, is that you don't see yourself (sighs) as anything other than the zookeeper. And your joy at what you do is so obvious. You know, you can see in everything you do, in the enthusiasm that's coming through our conversation right now. And, you know, it's kind of like they always say, if you work at what you love, you won't work a day in your life. I'm going to say we're both very fortunate, very like-minded, and I'm so looking forward to seeing you at Bonanza on April 23rd. All that information is at miamiday.gov slash Bonanza. You can register to find which of the 27 locations you want to go to that's convenient for you. And Ron, we're going to talk again, because as you're talking about these people behind the scenes who are the heroes, I'm making a commitment to you now that I want to interview the folks who are behind the scenes at Zoo Miami. Who Beautiful. Okay. All right. That's the deal. Thank you ever so much. Ron McGill, go to ZooMiami.org for any more information you need and check out all the pictures and just enjoy the animals. 
Thank you for listening to Community Focus this morning. If you have questions about the program or would like to suggest a topic, please feel free to email me at ellen.jaffe, J-A-2-F-1-E, at cmg.com. Join us again next Sunday for a new edition of Community Focus. Have a great day. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.